Welcome back to the Mackham in the Middle podcast after another Sunderland League game, another away game and another showing on Sky Sports, which did end in defeat 1-0 away to Middlesbrough in what was just another ordinary championship game and certainly nothing more than that. First and foremost, John, we'll obviously get onto the game, everything that happened, um, obviously a few talking points, but, you know, after a defeat, the main one is usually, you know, we've dropped three points, was the performance there, what could we have done better, but the one talking point from yesterday happened before the game, and it was obviously Ross Stewart who dropped out of the starting eleven because he picked up, uh, I think it was a calf injury in the warm-up, obviously he missed the game, and Tony Mowbray in his conference after the game obviously he hasn't scanned yet he's going to go for a scan and we'll be able to assess the kind of severity of the injury and see how long he's going to be out for but the immediate reaction didn't sound good missing him not just for the game yesterday but for however long he is out is not just a big blow but the biggest blow for Sunderland yes it's massive you know we we all know how we how we play um, I think the the telling the telling thing for me is it must have hit the rest of the squad, you know, like a big sort of thunderbolt because you could tell they just weren't, you know, I can't believe there were so many performance uh, poor performances from from everybody. Um, you know, he's he's a massive part of how we play. He's a massive part of how we set up, how we defend, how we attack. Um, you know, and he's. He's probably in the form of his life, you know, hence we're clamouring for him to get a new contract. Um, but yeah, just it, it shell-shocked everybody. Um, there's probably a frustration of why well, have we not got any backup plans and that's mm-hmm. tactical-wise from the coaching staff, regardless if the manager's gone, you know, because there should have been still, you know, action plans in place that if it does happen, because ultimately it could happen. Um, you know, as, as it's, been, it's been the one worry for every Sunderland fan for the past six to nine months, what's going to happen if Stuart gets injured? He's finally got injured, and even after all that planning, after all that thinking, after all that worrying, we haven't actually got a plan for it. No, exactly, and that's, again, that probably goes to a bit of, of naivety, you know, thinking that he's he's fit as a fiddle. Um, again, uh, you know, Speakman can come out with his little you know, interviews and his little press releases. But ultimately, um, we needed someone in that position. Yes, all right, we probably had irons in the fire. But for us not to find, you know, somebody who can come in, obviously no one is going to come in and fit the bill. I think that's, we're all going to agree that because Ross Stewart is a fantastic player. You know, what he does for us is very sort of niche in in his way. No one can really replicate that. But to not have any other strikers available, you know, we've you can't, Yes, the new Man United kids come in for, you know, he's he's signed for a lot of money to Man United, but he's, are we going to put the pressure on him to come in and do do the job? Obviously, Ellis Sims, you know, personally, I think he's he hasn't been great for sort of three three or four games now, and it's you know definitely looked a little bit lost um, last night. So it's some, you know, it's obviously everyone's you know, worst nightmare. And I think ultimately it did cost us the game yesterday. You know, um, like I said, the players were, were shell shocked. And I think if we did have Stuart, it's, it's a different game because they weren't, they weren't great at all. Um, and ultimately it, it, you know, it, it knackers it up, obviously going forward, it's going to be best case scenario. I still think it's going to be, you know, two or three weeks before, you know, if, if it is the best news and if it's not the best news, then, you know, we're, I think we are, in, we are in a bit of trouble, I think. Yeah. 
obviously, Dan, people talk about planning, like John mentioned, and the recruitment side of it certainly not being the best because we said the entire transfer window, we probably even said last January and, and potentially even the summer before that, that we need a kind of contingency plan. If Stuart does get injured, who's going to step in? Who's going to do the role in the team that he does? We didn't do that. We haven't brought anyone in to kind of play like for like. But on the other side of the planning idea, it is harder for, you know, Tony Mowbray, he's been here, what, four or five, less than a week, basically, for him to have come up with a plan 10 minutes before kickoff now that he's lost as, as key player to be able to change the way Sunderland play so quickly. Yeah, of course. And this is what I was saying last night. Um, it, doesn't, it doesn't really matter who how long your manager's been in there, if your main focal point of the team is, drops out with injury 10 minutes before the game, that's your whole week of preparation out the window. Um, and it's especially hard with Tony Mowbray because he doesn't even know how the players play. Um, he didn't want to change anything on Wednesday against Rotherham because we were we were playing really well um, and it paid off. We won 3-0. Um, and he would have done the same again today. Um, but because of that Stewart injury, um, we lost that really main focal point. Um, and the fact he doesn't know our players makes it even harder because now we're sort of expecting Sims to play as a, a, a lone striker, which he hasn't done all season, and then play Patrick Roberts basically as a, as the number 10 um, off his shoulder. And Patrick Roberts hasn't even had many game minutes uh, this season. Um, and when he has come on, it's been on the wing or he's he's not looked great. So um, it was a, a big task for him to, to step up and fill those boots of Ross Stewart. Um, but in general, we can argue that we've pointed out the, the, that we needed a, a second striker or a backup striker for Ross Stewart that's like for like. Um, but there's a there's a massive shortage of strikers in the world at the moment. Never, never mind a striker that can drop in deep, pick up the ball, create things in the midfield like Stewart does, but also has the pace to get in behind as well. There's very rarely any strikers that can actually do a blend of both. And we really saw that yesterday with what we missed. Ellis Sims is a great at uh, bullying his man and like holding the ball up, bringing the ball down and uh, giving uh, and playing given goes. But he doesn't have the pace to get in behind like Stewart does. Um so we, we can argue as much as we want that we should have had a another striker in the in the cards, but because there's not many on the market available or the ones that are available are either very expensive or they don't want to be a third-choice striker. So it's a bit like we we could throw stupid money at a striker, but would they actually want to come and be third-choice? I, I mean, you could argue that they would. that's their job to fight for to be first-choice, but... At the, at the start when they come in, they're going to be a third-choice striker, so it's it's not great for them if they've been playing uh, first-team football regularly, getting 90 minutes. So it's it's a bit difficult, and there's like I said, there's not many that really can replicate Stewart anyway, so it, it, I can't really see anyone who we would or could have brought in that would be able to do the job that he does, especially because he's a taller man as well, so he can bully those defenders, get on the end of crosses, etc., whilst getting in behind. So it's a very difficult one for us. Yeah. No, see, there is some leeway for the game yesterday, John, because like I said, you know, if, if you lose 
like I say, your key player, your best player, the most important player to the team. You know, we've mentioned what he does for the team, not just scoring goals, but, you know, if Sunderland are struggling to get the ball out of defence, he is the vocal point, get it up to him, he'll hold it up and we play from there. He drops deep into a kind of midfield role, you pick the ball up and, and link it up and, and we attack from there. Not having that is going to have a big impact on the game, especially when it happens 10 minutes before. But with how long Ross Stewart's been at the club and how long some of these players have, have played with him and trained with him, even going back to under Alex Neal, you'd think that players would still have an idea how to play without them. And based on the game yesterday, we just looked lost for ideas without being able to just play it into Stewart and, and kind of hope for the best. Yeah, we did. We did look very lost. And I think we were, you know, maybe it was our own downfall. You know, when the when the centre-backs have got the ball and sometimes we're pressed, we have got that focal point of Stuart running the channels or dropping in. And that is an outball a lot of the time. Um, and as soon as you take that out, you know, it's a case of, right, well, we're going to lump it anyway. And like Sims isn't going to hold the ball up right, like Ross Stewart does. Um, so you you have to accept that. So then obviously then we try and play play play, sorry, through the lines. And, you know, there was just there was just so many poor performers. You know, we we probably go right through the team. I thought first half Dan Neal was atrocious, you know, as, as much as I love him, he couldn't string like one simple pass. You know, we we'll probably get onto Jack Clark, just, you know, we expect him to you know, after what he done Wednesday, should be on, you know, on cloud nine. Doesn't, you know, didn't really, really do anything. And what he did do is, you know, how many balls did he hit out of play just easily? You know, Patrick Roberts has been fighting for an opportunity, you know, to to have a place in the team and gets in the team and probably out of position a little bit, um, but just sort of, you know, look lost. And it was, it's, I think you can put it just down to, it was just a bad night you know, all round and it it does show you how heavily we rely on on Ross Stewart and I obviously I get I get Dan's point, but it's I was probably more of a case of just getting I know it's easy to say, you know, even someone from League One, just a a big, you know, sort of lump who's probably happy to accept that he's not gonna be, you know, first and second choice, especially when you play two strikers. You need that you need that third one. Obviously we went for Broadhead still. We needed we you know, we needed him. Um and then the club thought, you know, well, we do, we don't need, you know, they've gone down the road the route of not of not needing someone. So, you know, that's that's the frustration now because I think if we did have you know, someone else to play in that position, although it's very tunnel vision to play the same way, because I do think we need to mix it up. I think if we had those strokes, we still could, you know, we'd have got a good result last night. I think, you know, if Stuart played and maybe if we had another focal point, not, no one's going to be as good as Ross Stuart. We know that, but I think it's still, you know, it, it was the, the start of our downfall, but yeah, the rest of the team as well, you know, barring one or two were, were really poor. Yeah. And obviously, Rush Stewart's injury, Dan, wasn't the only one that happened yesterday. Dennis Serkin also went off injured in the second half. And obviously, like I say, we'll get onto the game and, and the performance and everything about yeah. that shortly. But obviously, he went off injured. And two positions that people kind of looked at in the transfer window. And it continued to linger. And it went down at the last minute. And we didn't end up bringing anyone in. Was obviously striker, like we've already mentioned. We kind of thought we were short up there. That's starting to kind of show it true colours now and then the other one was at centre-back um, obviously Van Heck was kind of targeted for a large part of the window he looks like well he is staying at Brighton and he's going to feature for them in the Premier League you're also looking at full-backs with Dennis Erkin now injured 
um, if we stay with the same formation, same kind of style, you've got a lesser who can play as a, a left-sided centre-back. You know, he's left-footed, he likes to drive forward with the ball, he can pass. But we also don't have that left-back position at all if we would have switched to a back four. So again, it's just shown that whilst I think the recruitment has been fairly good in the window, and obviously we'll see more of the players as the season goes on, the two areas that we were short in have now been exploited and it could be a concern. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think everyone highlighted this when the season first, uh, when the transfer window first opened. Um, the two real areas we need to uh, bolster. And for me, Sirkin is arguably almost as big as an injury as Ross Stewart is um, because Sirkin and Clark yeah. really link up well on that left-hand side. Sirkin bombs forward and he creates a lot of goals. As a centre-back, he creates a lot of goals and chances because he drives forward and um, one of our midfielders sit in for him. Um, so I think he's a huge miss because he's got that pace, he's got that tenacity and that skill um, to get forward and to beat men. And also he's very good at defending as well, which I think when we first got him and towards the end of last season and maybe start of the season, we were sort of seeing that maybe he wasn't the greatest, but he had a rest and he came back and he's looked better than ever. The best he's played. Um, mm. And we've got a really quality player there, but now we're injured. Now he's injured. And then obviously we've got Dan Ballard, who's injured as well. Um, we were really lacking in that centre-back department. Like you said, really, we've only got two full-backs as well. We, got, we had Sirkin, we had Trey Hume. Um, Gooch is a, a makeshift right-back that, that has come in and done the job for us. So, God forbid Gooch gets injured because he's playing a lot of minutes regularly. We, we only have one actual full-back, which is Trey Hume, and he's had no, no minutes. Granted, he's looked all right when he's come on, but... Um, He's still not had much experience with us, so it it is um, a worry, especially with Stuart going on, uh, going out. I can see us going to a fallback um, formation, which is where I guess you would expect Alessi to come in or trade him to go left back, which is unnatural for him. So um, I think if the club haven't started already, they really need to be looking at January targets. Um, and the I guess our only saving grace this year is that the World Cup is in November, so we get a month break there, where hopefully all of our injuries um, can come back in the middle of that World Cup period and then get fit for the season starting again in January, or sorry, December. Yeah. So, in I guess in a in a normal season we'd be really worried because that Christmas period and the run up to it is crucial for a season. You can either really make or break your season in that period of time between November and January alone. So um, in a normal season, I think we'd panic more. Um, and our saving grace this year is the World Cup. But we, it's, I don't, we don't know what the board were thinking. Um, we can't really say what their strategy was. But I think every single fan and their, their dog understood and realised the issues we had. And everything that we said could happen has come true. So it's going to be a real testament to the board to see have they actually played the card right of the transfer window because now it's up to Tony Mowbray to get a starting eleven out that can change a game because as well last night, if you looked at our bench, granted we got a couple of new signings to come in um, and start to get on the bench, but our bench, if we need a goal, we've got nothing on the bench 
to yeah. really chase a game and make something happen. So it, it, there's a lot of things that we really need to look carefully at and think about how we're going to attack the next couple of months because I'm, I would be shocked if we didn't get another injury in the next couple of months till November. So it's, it's going to be a huge make-or-break period for the board and mm. a real big, tough task for Tony Mowbray, who's now really got to knuckle down and understand the squad and get a plan B and a plan C going, whether that's a new formation, whether that's, I don't know, playing Jack Clark at striker back where he used to play and then bringing Amad Diallo into the left-hand side. And But yeah, it's it's down to see what Tony Mowbray has to offer and what he really can do with this squad. Yeah. And so we're getting into the game now, John, and just before we do, in terms of the lineup. 15 minutes before kickoff, at least, it was unchanged um, from the win against Rotherham. No real surprises there. And obviously, Patrick Roberts eventually came in for Ross Stewart, which meant a slight change in formation. But performance-wise, game-wise, first kind of 15, 20 and probably 25 minutes, Sunderland just didn't look a shadow of of themselves as they have in previous games. You know, you look at the Rotherham game, Norwich, even Sheffield United for large parts. You know, we're getting on the ball moving the ball quickly, getting up the pitch, and we looked dangerous going forward, whereas yesterday, again, especially in them first 20-25 minutes, it did improve as the game went on, but even when we were going forward, bar one chance, which obviously we'll get onto with Pritchard, we just never looked dangerous at all. No, we didn't. You know, we obviously we all saw it, and it was, it was really poor all round. You know, I think... You know, there's probably a couple of things to that. I think obviously the Ross Stewart thing, you know, we've said it, it probably has some sort of psychological effect um, on them. Um, I certainly think that, obviously myself. Um, and then you've got to look at the, you know, the argument of, is it a derby? Is it not a derby? Um, I, th- You know, I think they treated it like one. Um, you know, the atmosphere was rocking. I think they sort of got stuck into us and won the first and second balls, which is, is really important. And, you know, if you... If you get your home crowd, same as us when we're at home, if you get the crowd on side, you know, there's there's a massive momentum there. And we just looked, you know, we were late, you know, if, case in point is, you know, Gucci's tackle in the first half. He's just so late. It's, yeah. you know, and, and normally those, those are the types of things that he, he mops up quite easily. And saying about Dan Neal, who, who can't string a pass, it's, you know, normally he's one of the best, he's probably one of the best passers, you know, that that we've had at the club for, for a long time. Um, and it just, yeah, first, you know, I'd, I'd say most of the half, to be fair, it was just, it was really, really poor. And, you know, I, I put that down to, put that down to a few things, but yeah, it's not, not what we're expecting of. Obviously the, the press helps, you know, again, going back to Ross Stewart, he, you know, he needs the press. And if, you know, Ellis Sims, bless him, is not Ross Stewart and his press isn't, isn't nowhere near as effective as Ross Stewart. So, you know, it's we almost were on the back foot, you know, from the get go. Yeah. And obviously, just before Middlesbrough took the lead, which again, we'll get on to in a second, Sunderland had the best, well, best chance of the game, you know, throughout the 90 minutes, really. Um, certainly Sunderland's best chance. And outside of the Middlesbrough goal, probably the only other chance in the game. Um, it was the first time that Sunderland really went forward. Nice little bit of play from Roberts to win it back off Matt Clark. He's played into Sims. Sims plays it into Pritchard in the box. It's one of them that, when you're watching on TV, it probably looks a lot easier than it actually is. But, you know, a player with the quality that Pritchard has, 
the amount of time he had, he could have took a touch, took a second touch and put it in the bottom corner. That is a chance that, especially in the championship, where it's a game of fine margins, Dan, you absolutely have to put that in the back of the net. Yeah, of course. And this, you'd expect a seasoned veteran like Pritchard to bury that. Um, I, I think any other day he does score that. Um, and that's really the turning point of our game, because if we score that, I don't really... See us. It's, a, it's, it's complete. If we score that, I think we're going to win the game. Because like John says there, especially in a game that Middlesbrough fans will class as a derby, which it isn't, but there we go. If if Middlesbrough go 1-0 down, they haven't had a good start of the season, the frustration will creep in, the atmosphere will be a bit flat. Um, and well, obviously that is a big it. thing for fans. If suddenly take the lead there, the fans turn on the players, the players lack a bit of confidence, suddenly go on, maybe get a second and, and it's a completely different game. That's it. Um, and you saw defensively, other than the goal, we were we were quite structured. We were quite solid. Um, I think if we score that game, it, uh, sorry, if we score that chance, it is a completely different game. Because fair credit to Roberts, um, he showed how to break Middlesbrough down. All you do, all you have to do is run at them with a bit of pace, and it scares them. It shakes them apart, and we can tear them apart. Two two passes split their whole defence and midfield open. Roberts wins the ball back, plays it straight to Sims, and he plays it through to Pritchard, who's through on goal with no defenders around him. So they were very easy to break down. We just didn't have that pace and we didn't have that sort of, uh, I'd say, desire. There was no desire to break the team down and to hit them hard and hit them fast, um, which is what carried out through the whole game. Um, and... Yeah, like I said, you'd expect Richard with someone who's who's been in the Premier League and done it at the highest level for years uh, to bury that chance, and it just epitomised the rest of the the rest of the night for us. Um, I think I think especially we controlled the second half completely and parts of the first half, although our passing was sloppy and our end product was really really poor. Um, we could easily control the game. We had most of the possession. We were passing the ball around sideways and backwards um, for the whole 97 minutes. So we get that goal. We control the game. We could dictate it. We could play it at our tempo. We could up the tempo or slow the tempo down, depending on how we wanted to play. Um, but then we had that lapse of concentration that allowed them to score not, probably 10 minutes later, and it completely flipped the game. Um, and got that stadium going because, to be fair, the Middlesbrough fans, they were loud and they got behind the team. So um, it's one of those, if we could shut them up early, which we had the chance to, we would we would have taken over and we would have easily won that game. Um, but they did it on their end 10 minutes later. They controlled the game, they controlled the stadium noise, they controlled that atmosphere and the, the players got right behind that. So it's just yeah. one of those things. Yeah, and obviously it was Middlesbrough that took the lead, John, and it was a goal that, again, is, don't think this one was necessarily a mistake. Could we do better with it? Probably in a few instances. Obviously, the first one is from the cross from Ryan Giles. Could Gooch get closer to his man, stop the cross potentially? Um, the ball comes in, it kind of goes past O'Neill and, and it's Riley McGree who's in the middle of, of him and Bart and he gets a touch on it and ends up putting it under Patson. And I think it was actually O'Neill that got a excellent last-ditch tackling, which ended up probably helping McGree actually score the goal in the end, which obviously is slightly unfortunate. But again, it's just one of them things that 
defensively, we could have been a bit more solid for Lacola. Again, I mentioned the closing down from Gooch to stop the cross. Um, you know, getting first to the ball. Obviously, McGuire got there in between the two defenders. I don't think it's a mistake, but it's a one that essentially, had we actually had a centre half playing there, would probably be avoided. Yeah, you could say that. You know, in in fairness, though, to you know, to Luke Nine, he's been he's been fantastic there, um, and it's probably his his best position. I think the the thing for me that really really frustrates me is we we let people cross it into the box you know, continuously. And it's not just this game, it's a catalogue of games. It, there's not enough done to to stop the cross because the cross is ultimately what causes the problem. You know, it it creates chaos. Obviously, does the keeper come? Does he not come? You know, what the defenders do, they mark and they sort of pull us, you know, all over the place. And that's that's every single team. So my, always my frustration would be stop the crosses coming in, you know, double up down on the wings, get, you know, Gooch and Clark back in and put it to a back five and stop them, you know, stop those crosses coming in because that's that's ultimately where it comes from I didn't there wasn't too too many mistakes in it obviously it probably could be avoided but you know it's just it's just one of those things and not on the balance of play they you know they they probably deserved it um you know obviously 09 tries tries to tackle but ultimately just not just not successful that time yeah and obviously after like all that we said Dan that the atmosphere changes Sunderland well, end up chasing the game and it's a completely different game for both teams because Middlesbrough winning. They don't have as much pressure to go forward. Sunderland need to start throwing bodies forward to get the goal. And to be honest, I don't think it was too much of a kind of blow to Sunderland defensively, even when they had to throw more people forward because I don't think Middlesbrough actually looked too dangerous offensively. But Sunderland, like we've said before, we've talked about crosses. I couldn't name one cross that went into the box that actually found a Sunderland player. You know, Jack Clark, I think they put three, possibly four crosses out of play from good positions that on another day could probably end up in a hat-trick of goals for whoever was in the box. And obviously you go back to the Rotherham game where very similar positions, he gets the ball, puts a good ball into the box and, and we score from it. But again, just the delivery, the final pass, the movement in the final third, just none of it was there yesterday. No, um, we we were really, really second best to everything yesterday. Um, I mean, Jack Clark is someone you'd expect to put a, a peach of a ball in. Um, Gooch as well, recently, has been putting phenomenal crosses in. Um, but we, th- the crosses either went straight to the keeper's hands, they didn't come off the ground, or they went straight out for a corner, or even sometimes a throw-in um, at the other end. Um, and I think, as well, what you saw is there was no play, even if we did have the ball in the wide areas, there was no players bombing into the box. Um, a lot of the time, Ellis Sims was on the edge of the box or um, around the D, and we had no one actually in the box to be able to cross the ball into. Um, and when we did have players in there, the, the ball was just absolutely shocking. Um, and you are going to get that in football games. You are going to get um, bits of inconsistency and, and times where across is shambolic but I mean the way it went yesterday I've never seen anything like it I we for all the possession we had I mean I think we were pushing 70% possession we did absolutely nothing with it um and you saw so many times yesterday as well the ball would get played out from Pato to Luca 9 he would drive forward 30 40 yards and just have no one trying to move to get to get the ball and to make something happen Everyone was just stood still. 
and it made the Borough defence and the Borough midfield just be able to pick us apart like it was nothing. They, all they had to do was stand on the man and they would intercept the ball. Um, so that's another thing. Like I said, we didn't have that tenacity. We didn't have that cutting edge we normally have where we can break a team apart. We had some nice triangles going sometimes, but then the final ball in that triangle would just go straight to their player. There were so mm. many times where we had the ball at the back and we just passed it straight across our box or straight across the uh, our, goal, our goal face um, 20, 30 yards out. And a couple of yeah. times the, that Borough striker almost got on the end of it. Like it's, it's been a long time since I've seen backwards and sideways passing for us. And half the time we couldn't even do it well. Um, yeah, I'm. I'm just looking at the stats here. We uh, we doubled the in passes. We we were pushing seventy percent possession, and we and we had nothing to show for it. Absolutely nothing to show for it. Um, so I it was just an off performance from everyone. I don't think there was really one player in that team that looked comfortable or looked really like good. Really. Um, even even Pato looked a bit sh- sh- with, uh, a bit wobbly with some of their shots, yeah. um, which I thought should have been fairly simple saves. The parry went straight to the the six yard line rather than out f- for throwing or whatever. But um, it, it's just an off day. Some it just shows the characters that I guess we need to build. Still, we've got a young team. They've never experienced a, a rivalry like that before. Um, they've never uh, they've probably never realised what an atmosphere like that could do to you. You could say how much it doesn't affect you but then when you're on the pitch it might affect you so there's a lot of factors that could go into it and we just need to build them up a lot more um, and get them used to that sort of hostile atmosphere. Yeah and obviously the game kind of followed the same pattern the entire duration of it John you know Sunderland like we said they had more possession but again just never really looked dangerous with it never looked particularly threatening by that one chance for Pritchard made changes some of which were interesting i think to say the least you know pritchard and roberts coming off gooch coming off as well um ahmad made his debut Embleton and, and diaku who a lot of people have forgotten about because quite frankly he hasn't featured um all season i think to be honest um i could be wrong on that one but he certainly hasn't featured much but i think the one argument is that you know if you look at the window the players we brought in very young players like sort of jewish and benner edward michu abdul abar are they going to be thrown in at the starting eleven? Absolutely not. You know, they're not ready to play, you know, for 90 minutes, not ready to be thrown in at the deep end and, and expected to perform. But if you look at the bench, the players that we brought on yesterday, like Dan said earlier, there's no one there really that could come on and, and you think, all right, we might make a goal here. Cause there's no one that has that ability to change a game, I don't think, from the bench that we had yesterday. And it's, it's a question that I raised in the group chat and obviously got different responses and, and people will have different opinions on it. But... Yes, they are young players. Yes, they will need time to adapt to the league. But at the end of the day, if you're 1-0 down in a game, um, Jewison Bennett, yeah, he's 18 years old, but he's made seven senior appearances for Costa Rica. He's ready to play World Cup football in, in November. There is not a chance that he's not ready to feature 10 minutes off a bench in a championship game and, and just see what he can do. No pressure. Go out there. If we lose the game, we lose the game. We're already 1-0 down. Best case scenario, he comes on, makes a difference. We take a point out of that game. It's something that I've never really quite understood, that one. Yeah, I think we're always going to be a little bit, you know, reluctant. You know, Mowbray's only just inside the door. So he's he's going to be relying on what, you know, what the coaches have seen. And to be fair, the coaches probably haven't seen, you know, anything of 
of Bennett or Meet You or Bar. Um, and like we say, they are still young. They're in another country. It's going to be ultimately there. They seem like ones for the future, don't they? Um, we're not really going to going to chuck them in a deep end. Obviously, I'd like to see us be a little bit more bold, you know, like even if we, you know, use them for, sounds weird, but, you know, use them for the home games, let them sort of bed themselves in on on them. You know, if, if we're playing Rotherham, we're sort of 3-0 up. I'm sure you can bring on one or two for, you know, just go around, stroke the ball around, have a go and, you know, ease, ease your way in slowly. Um, but it's, it is a frustrating one, especially as we've we've gone with, you know, three of them when we could probably have swapped one of those out for, you know, a person who's who's played a lot of games, I don't know, in League One or or the Championship who can come in and just do, you know, do, you know, a, a job that we need. Because as you say, we're looking at the bench. Obviously, Diallo's probably the, the one who's most ready and looked okay. Obviously, he's probably not on the same wavelength as, as our players and, and vice versa. Um, but he's he's maybe one to one to watch. I'm not quite sure um, what what we're gonna do with with Dayaku because I probably would have got I probably would have got rid of him. You know, Alex Neil didn't really fancy him. He wasn't in the squad. You know, up until sort of 15 minutes before kickoff, and all of a sudden he's he's sort of given 15 minutes to to play. But he wasn't trusted, you know, by Alex Neil in in any way. And they can pretend he's injured, you know, all you like because as soon as you know Alex Neil's gone. Um, you know, the injuries are, have all dried up all of a sudden. So he doesn't really trust that. And again, you go to the other players on the bench. Um, I'm not really sure, you know, Embleton is a player who's going to come on and change a game. I'm, I'm really not. And I, and I do want to be, but I'm not really convinced by him. Um, you know, if if he left in the summer, I wouldn't have been, I wouldn't have been, you know, too too distraught about it. Um, you know, you you want these players to come on and make a difference. And, you know, I know this is, you know, this game's real isolation, um, but just, just simple things coming on and be able to cross a ball into the box and you're expecting Hamilton, all right, he had a, probably a shot, which is quite a simple one, you know, but the other cross, you know, the keeper comes out, takes this thing out of the game and it's still very much a frustrating one. But yeah, we've we've got to look to the bench to be a lot more, you know, to come on and do the business. Obviously, normally we'd have Patrick Roberts to bring off the bench and it's only him or Embleton who you'd say make a difference. Um, so, yeah, it's, obviously it's going to be, you know, what can Mowbray do on a training pitch? Are the youngsters ready? Are they, you know, are they good enough? Um, you know, Law of Averages said that maybe one or, or two of them aren't going to be good enough. Um, but it's it's one of those we've, we've got to wait and see. Yeah. And I'll, I'll go back to you again on this one as well, John, that, Obviously, I've spoke about the recruitment model quite a lot in the past kind of two weeks. You know, it is to sign young players. I think the average age of the players we brought in that, that Phil Smith said on Sky just before the game is, I think it was something like 20.1 or something like that. So you can say that we're bringing young players in, but if we're bringing these young players in and they are not ready to play for the first team, what is the point at a club like Sunderland? You look at clubs like Man City, Chelsea, Arsenal, Man United, Liverpool where they can absolutely get away with it because they've got players in the first team, they've got depth, you know, come off the bench, they've got players in the under-23s that can come on and make a difference. So they've got time to bed these players in and, you know, they're not relying on them to come on, change a game and and play a big part in the season. You know, I think Julian Alvarez is a good example at Man City, very young player from Argentina. They bought him, loaned him back out to Argentina to develop. But in the meantime, they had, you know, the likes of Jesus. Um, obviously, they've got Haaland now. They've got so many other attacking players that they can afford that luxury of letting a player develop and come back when he's ready for the first team, whereas Sunderland don't. So having these players come in, 
if they're not ready to play for the first team now and, and might not be for the foreseeable, we are very short of players. Yeah, we are. Um, you know, there there must be some, you know, if, if you're bringing in Bar, you know, Ab- Abdullah Bar, and, you know, by all accounts, his highlights look okay. Obviously, I haven't really seen too much of him. I don't think any of us have. Um, and then you're letting Winchester go. You know, whose decision is that? Because for me, I'd happily have Carl Winchester in the centre midfield, you know, to come on for, for Corey Evans or for Dan Neal instead of, you know, him. And why is it, like you say, it's okay signing these players, but why are we signing like four of them? You know, Michu has played for Paris Saint-Germain last season. He's played with Messi. He's played with Neymar, but he's not ready to come in and and play in, in Armour. And we're not talking about you know, go straight in and start and flourish, but at least get in the squad and get him minutes. Even, you know, yesterday, give him 10 minutes, just, just get his foot inside the door. You know, it might, it might ignite something. It might trigger something, you know, obviously the, the Costa Rican one, you know, in, it was telling in Neil's interview when he signed, he said, Oh, you know, he's one for the future. Well, yes, we can build for the future. Building for the future is brilliant, but let's not let the long-term goals get in the way of the, the short-term goals as well. There has to be a balance. If you're building for the future, you've got to build for the present as well. And based off the players that we've brought in, the words that have been said on them players, we are only building for the future and not building for the present time. Yeah, it does. It does seem a little bit like that, you know, and, and Speakman's come out and done a, you know, sort of half another, you know, sort of statement, put it out there, um, you know, almost like defending it a little bit, which if he feels he has to come out and do that, you know, or whatever. But we just want, you know, the short-term goals to match the long-term goals. They have to marry in. You know, we don't need to sign four youngsters. You know, we needed probably two youngsters and two experienced players. God forbid Corey Evans pulls up, which has been known to happen, probably one of our best players this season. Who do we then look to to put in midfield? I think that's, I think that's the thing as well, though. If you're not going to play the likes of Bar, Michu, Bennett, whoever... They're essentially our backup players at the minute. Like you say, if Corey Evans gets in- injured, you're then having to throw a bar in who's not played yet, not made an appearance, not came on, not had any minutes. Then you are throwing him at the deep end. So again, like I say, if you had him on the bench yesterday, possibly a little bit too early, but especially on Saturday, give him 10 minutes, give him 15 minutes, get him used to it. And then if that happens, Corey Evans does get injured in a future game. He's experienced what it's like to play football in this league. He's experienced the physicality, the, the pace of the game. Throwing them in the deep end will be more of a risk than anything else. Yeah, exactly, and that's that, that's the thing. You know, are they ready for it? One bad performance we know can, you know, shut a player's career down at, at a club. You know, if, if Meijer comes on as an absolute shocker, you know, there's going to be a hell of a reluctance for for Mowbray, you know, to to put him in. I think we're going to have to get really, really desperate for them you know, to play. I think that's the way it's going. You know, if Corey Evans did get injured, I think it'd be a case of putting Luco nine in midfield. Again, not ideal. And putting Bailey Wright in the in the defence. And then we are, you know, with Sirkin out, Elise is probably going to play um, in the in the back three with a four. And then it is the kids or or nothing after that. And that's where it leaves us it leaves us short. Like we're saying, fair enough, boy. You know, get some kids in, you know, by all accounts, our kids in the academy are, are very good. So let's not try and block their pathways as well. Um, but let's not, like we're saying, let's not let the long-term goals, you know, affect the short term. They have to marry in. Yeah. 
Well, it did finish 1-0, obviously, and now we will get to play ratings. And Dan, I'll start with you on Patterson. We'll try and get through these ones as quickly as we can. Um, I'd say six. He looked, he, he saved what he needed to. Um, he couldn't really do much about the goal. and uh, But some of the saves he did make were a bit wobbly um, mm. and probably could have done better with them. Yeah, John? Yeah, I'll go over six. Yeah, like like Dan's in, his saves were, were relatively good. His his kicking recently is frustrating me a little bit. He's letting the players, you know, press him quite quick. Um, I think he just needs to pull his finger out a little bit there. But yeah, nothing to do with with the goal. So yeah, I'll give him a six. Yeah, undo Lyndon Gooch, Dan. Um, probably one of his poorer performances in recent times. As much as I love him, I'd probably give him a five because. He got brought off early, a um, couple of dodgy tackles and poor, really poor um, crossing. So, yeah. Yeah. John? Yeah, same five. Dan summed it up perfectly for me. Yeah. Um, Luke nine again, right side of the back three. Go back to you for this one again, Dan. Um, slightly at fault for the goal, um, but I thought he was one of our more awake and more enthusiastic players mm. yesterday. He constantly got the ball and drove off and tried to get something to try to get the clock turning and ticking over. Um, but every time he drove, drove forward, everyone was just stood still. So can't yeah. really fault him with that. He a couple of good blocks, body on the line sometimes when he needed to, and a couple of good tackles. So uh, probably be one of my only sevens that I'd give up. Yeah. And John, for you? Yeah, same. I'll go over seven. Um, yeah, one of the ones who, you know, really did stand up and, you know, and demand the ball a bit more in the, especially in the second half. Um, and, you know, battled well against everything that came his way. Yeah, seven. Yeah, yeah. especially as well with 09 as well. He's he's only small as well, but he, he was the only one that could really deal with uh, their Muniz, who's like six foot five or whatever he is. Um, Danny Bart seemed to struggle against him so fair play to him he had someone much taller and much stronger against him but he was still winning most balls going up for headers and winning them so he's he's really shot me in this league I thought he'd really struggle in the championship Um, but he is I mean I I, I met him personally and the work and effort he puts in at the training ground you can see why he's performing so well in this league so yeah He's really opened my eyes. I didn't think he'd do as well as he has, but he seems to be our only consistent performer. Yeah, that is fair. Danny Bart in the middle. Um, I thought he did fairly well throughout the game, Dan. Won headers, uh, won the tackles, few fouls given away that probably didn't need to be given away. But overall, Danny Bart for you? Uh, probably a six. He was more at fault for the goal. It ricocheted off his... Uh, no, he couldn't get to the ball. It was a really weird one. Um and he, I, I don't know, I don't think he dealt with Muniz as well as he could have done. A lot. He's a big centre-back and he, he didn't win a lot of headers um, against their forwards. So I'd probably go with a six or, or pushing five, honestly. Um, John, for you? Yeah, I'll go for six. Um, yeah, I think he's probably set himself a standard this season of winning, you know, everything. And last night we didn't really see him win as much or dominate as much as he should, you know, against a striker who's only scored scored one goal. So yeah, I was a little bit frustrated with him. Yeah. Um well Dennis Serkin obviously started the game and he did go off about halfway through the second half, but 
during the game. Don't think he had the best game compared to what we've usually seen from him, Dan. Yeah, um, I agree. Um, he is always one of the only people that would that we can rely on to really get forward and break the ranks down. Um, and then he got injured, obviously. Whether that was for, whether that was a uh, fatigue because of all the minutes he's put in recently or what, I don't know. Um, but yeah, today was quite poor. I'd still give him a six because he, he did try and create and get forward, but the injury hampered all progress. Yeah, John. Yeah, I'll probably I'll probably go over just just about a six. He wasn't as influential as um, you know as he as he normally is. He's, he's fairly decent in the air, which players try and target him, but he's he matches that up quite well. And it's obviously you know it's a shame he's uh he's injured. I don't know if it's him or Clark. I I couldn't tell because they both look the same. Who I think in the second half, you know, did three was it like overhead kicks to clear the ball? I don't know if it was him or Clark. So. Yeah. Oh, Clark, OK, well, Sirkin, yeah, you would have got a seven for that, but you get six now. <laughs> on to said Jack Clark, Dan. Obviously, he was the best player on the pitch against Rotherham. Um, did everything that we know he's capable of. Good crossing the ball. Obviously, fantastic solo goal for him. Completely different player in the game last night. You know, he, he couldn't cross a ball to save his life. Dispossessed far too easily. And very frustrating thing about Jack Clark, which he gets away with more often than not. Um, but when he seems to drive towards our own box instead of just releasing the ball. And I think it was one time he played a ball across the in-yard area and I think Muniz was about two, three inches away from just nicking the ball off him and, you know, he's still on goal. So a little bit of frustration there, but luckily he didn't come from anything. But again, crossing, very poor. Um, you know, Jones had the beating of him every time, defensively and defensively. Just a very poor game for Jack Clark. Yeah, I agree. I'd probably give him a four. He would. He, he he did beat Jones a couple of times. A couple of times he sent Jones for a hot dog. He went one way, Jack Clark went the other. But then he got past Jones and the, then the ball either went for a throw-in or it went out for a goal kick. Yeah. All missed everyone and they took the ball again. So it, it's like you, you can you can beat as many men as you want. It, but if you don't do anything with it after beating them all, then you might might as well have saved the energy and not beat them. So I, I'd go with a four because... Like I said, I don't know if he was still starstruck from his performance on Wednesday or if he was just shattered from putting in an absolute shift um, from Wednesday. Well, uh, it, it just wasn't him today. And you could see that with how frustrated he was getting. He, he lost his yeah. head, um, getting angry at himself. And it feels like if something's not going, he's the kind of player to beat himself up all over it. And I think that's something that Tony Mowbray probably will be able to um, influence with uh, with himself and get that mentality sorted that if something does, doesn't does go your way, you get up, you get over it and you keep going and you keep going until you score or you get an assist or something. So yeah. I, I think that's that's a moulding that Tony Mowbray will do um, and time will give that. But yesterday, it just really, really wasn't his day. Yeah. And obviously, he'll have better games than he did yesterday, John, but just overall, every kind of aspect of his play was very, very poor. Yeah, really, really bad game. To be fair, you know, nothing, nothing really came off. And again, frustrating that he kept, you know, keeps turning back and and running back with the ball sort of across the pitch a little bit. Um, you know, we need him to stay wide, and that's where he's most effective. And you know, the one or, you know, the couple of times he did actually get through, you know, end product was just awful after you know a goal and and two assists, yeah. you know, last um, last week. So yeah, bad at the office, but we'll. 
we'll maybe let him off. But yeah, really, really poor from his standard. Yeah. Into midfield, Daniel, starting with him, Dan. Oh, we'll go to John first. Um, I thought he had a, I thought he had, um, I thought he had a really poor first half. Um, quite, uh, there was a few times he did his classic mistake of too many touches in in the final yeah. sort of third area, and he lost the ball. But thankfully, we had other players there to deal with it. Um, second half, I thought he was a bit brighter, and to be fair, he, he never stopped running. I mean, he never gave up. He just the quality wasn't there. A couple of times he had the ball um, driving forwards towards their box and picked out the wrong pass or the pass was slightly overshot or undercooked or he should have gone right and it went left instead. Yeah. Um, he, he played some nice triangles with Roberts and Pritchard, etc. Though um, I've already given him a five. It wasn't a great day for him. It wasn't, I mean, first half could have been a one in my opinion, but he, he sort of, because he never stopped running and he never stopped trying to make something happen or he never stopped trying to get forward and drive through the midfield and attack. I'd probably give him a five. Yeah. As fair, John. Yeah, I'll go over five. We, you know, we said earlier first half was, was really poor, you know, some somewhat of, you know, redemption, maybe a little bit in the second half, but um, you know, nothing, nothing really came off. Obviously worked hard, but that's a given. Um, but yeah, five and just you know he set him needs to set himself you know a nice high standard and and meet that because he's very good um, on the ball. But yeah, really poor last night. Yeah, Corey Evans done. Mm-mm. He he did well against their midfield. I'd say um, he uh, there was a lot of times where he did that dirty work. He put a, put a bit of a shift in. Um, he won the ball back quite a lot, but a lot, at the same time, his passing was uh, quite poor as well, um, especially in our own half or at the uh, halfway line. He gave the ball away quite a lot. Or sideways passing sort of went to their strikers and attackers, etc. So I'd probably give him a six because he did deal with a lot. Um, but it, it, in in general with the midfield, it, the the clockwork that we normally see in the transitioning and switching around, um, it just didn't feel like it was happening. There was no pressing, etc. Um, so uh, probably a, probably a six because he was probably the best midfielder, but um, still not right. Yeah, John, for you. Yeah, same. I go for six. Did a lot of the donkey work. Uh, you know, we 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 probably missed. Um, I only saw him pop up one or two occasions, sort of pressing. Um, but yeah, just yeah, just a bit. I don't want to say anonymous, but sort of didn't really notice him. Yeah, that is fair. On the fun three, Dan, who quite frankly neither did too much. I don't think this one, these three, will take too long. But first of all, Alex Pritchard. I thought that was one of his worst performances. He should have bur- he should have buried it in the first yeah. half. Um, ten minutes in, that would have set the game up completely different. Um, and then after that, his passing was poor. He when every time he got the ball, um, he'd look for a through ball that wasn't on, or he'd overhit it, or he would get tackled. He'd get the ball, he'd stood still with it and tried to find something rather than driving forward and trying to potentially even take on a couple of players. Um, and then he got brought off as well um, early, which is never a good sign. Um, I'd probably give. I'd probably give him a four if I'm being really honest. I, I really didn't think 
he did uh, he, he did anything special yesterday. And yeah. we're going to get that from him. We rely on him so much to be in that number 10 position and really making things work. And it just so happened that yesterday was uh, one of his days. Yeah. Um, we'll just move on quickly to these last two players. Dan, um, Ellis Sims. Ellis Sims um, brought the ball down well. Uh, bullied the centre-backs a bit, but he's just no Ross Stewart. He really isn't. Um, he doesn't have the work, weight, uh, work rate. He doesn't have the pace either to really beat men. We saw him get in behind, uh, I think it was Dale Fry a couple of times. Um but he did nothing with it, and when every time he shot, it was from the most obscure angle as well. Um, I give him a five because he didn't really do much wrong, um, other than shoot from dodgy angles and put it fifty yards over the goal. But uh, he, yeah, he he's not going to be able to fill the shoes we need him to fill. Yeah, and last but not least, Patrick Roberts as he came in for Stewart at the last minutes, so probably a bit leeway considering he wasn't prepared to start the game. But overall, no, for him. To be fair to him, I thought he was quite bright. He had a lot of energy, a lot of pace, um, and especially with that Pritchard chance, he he worked hard to get that ball back and then create uh, be the person that started that chance creation. Um, he drove at the defence a lot as well, which worried them and caused some problems. But again, final product, he just couldn't get it off. Um, he did well considering he probably wasn't prepared to start and hasn't had many minutes recently. Um, so I'd give him a six, but I mean, th- there's not much more he could do um, when a team just isn't playing well. Yeah. Man of the match, I think we'll skip for this game. Yeah. But anyway, Millwall is the next game on Saturday. Um, just quickly before we wrap it up, if I had to go over the prediction for that game, what would it be? <laughs> um. I, I mean, this 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 is really tough to call. Millwall are a tough team to beat, um, and we could be potentially playing a playing a completely different system. Um, the optimism in me will be will say something like a two a scrappy two one or a scrappy one nil, um, but I could see it going being a one one or even a one nil away uh, a one nil Millwall win. So it could go either yeah. way. Um, but I just know it'll be scrappy, it'll be tight, and it will will really be a tough game. Yeah. Well, whatever happens, we will, of course, get a preview out for that game on Saturday to get what the Millwall perspective of this game is. And then, of course, on the Sunday, we'll have another reaction out to talk about everything that happens during Saturday's game. At home to Millwall, of course, 3 o'clock kickoff. But until next time, we will see you later. That's all, folks.